0: Please turn in your Bibles to Acts 2, verse 37. We've got it up on the board. I'm reading out of ESV. I started, we started with the Fight with the Light series, which really is kind of extending from this week and probably a little bit into October. And then it's going to be November. We've got a whole lot happening. We have a whole bunch of people coming in. So I really just want to lay in a few things, a few different cultures into the church, almost the things that we stand upon as a church that we believe is central, that we believe is the absolute truth that we stand on and say, God, this is what we want our community to look like. If God, if God has called us to shine like stars in the universe, as it speaks about, I think, in Philippians, and it's also, if he's called us to, um, to, to be this, this light, this city on a hill, as you see up there, that's, this light that's, that's emanating into the world, we have to look like something. And it's amazing, in in, in, uh, Acts 2.42 it says, and they devoted themselves. And I covered that last week, which is really just understanding who the they are, which is us. What does a community look like? We call that community, and they're devoted. What does devotion look like? So I want to just go back one or two um, sentences, because I think if we miss out the main point... We're going to try be something in a community. We're going to try do good works. We're going to try strive towards certain things, but we're going to not have the internal motivation which God has called us to have, that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and Him. So, I just want to read uh, from verse thirty-seven. So, just to give you context, you've had Acts two. You've had um, uh, the, the Acts one. Jesus, Jesus says, "Listen, I'm going to go. I'm going to ascend to the Father." Jesus is already and is resurrected. he's He's died and he's resurrected again. He spent 40 days preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He says, I'm about to go. He says, wait in Jerusalem and the power is going to hit you guys. The power of the Holy Spirit, not an impersonal force, but the power of God is going to come and invade your hearts and lives. You're going to take that and you're going to spread my gospel across the earth. So this is a bunch of 120 dudes uh, and, and families, and they, they're waiting up there and they're saying, God, you, you promised us to. Wait. A few days later, the Holy Spirit falls like a fire. It, it happens so radically that they stumble out the building. People think they're drunk. There was tongues of fire on people's head. There was, there was, there was like this new movement. There's this new covenant that God has just initiated in His blood. Now the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church, the empowering Holy Spirit, the one Jesus spoke about Him, says you will, He's with you, but He's going to be in you. So, they're waiting for this moment where we know the Holy Spirit's with us because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament used to rest on people for a certain task. But now, we're as New Testament people, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. He dwells with us. He walks alongside of us. We're spirit filled people looking towards the future for the ultimately for when Jesus is going to come back. But we're going to be bringing the kingdom of God to this earth through the Holy Spirit. So, they have this powerful moment. Peter gets up. If you know anything of the story of Peter, he denied Jesus three times. Jesus restores him three times. He, and for me, that's, that's a clear picture of uh, people saying, oh, can you fall away from the faith? Peter fell away from the faith. He denied Jesus to three different people. Jesus comes back and he restores him three times. He says, now go feed my sheep. Peter stands up with absolute boldness. And honestly, it's, it's almost like standing up in the middle of a very religious society. I don't want to mention where But very close to us. If you had to stand up and proclaim the gospel in a religious society, that's where he was. He needed the Holy Spirit and the boldness of God to stand up. He says, preaches the gospel, preaches how good Jesus is, that's actually the the person that you crucified. He accuses the people in the crowd of you crucified him. He says, he's actually king and lord. He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And then there's this moment that happens. It goes, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name, uh, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord calls to Himself. And I just, I want, to, I want us to just look at that quickly because I think if we, if we kind of strive to be Acts 242." where it they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the apostles' teaching, these amazing things that I think are pillars in a community and hold the community in balance. But if we don't get the first thing right, which is the gospel, we're going to miss out on everything else. Then it becomes about a, a, a works mentality instead of about us being knowing whose we are. We're saved by Jesus. I'm, I'm a wretched sinner. I am messed up, but Jesus has saved me. So I want to read Romans 16. It's not up on the board. I'm going to go through it quickly. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel... This is Paul writing, and I've always, when I first read that, I thought, okay, what is this, what is it ashamed, and I remember when I got saved, and uh, I always thought, I'm going to go tell my friends, and it's like, you don't want to be the cheesy Christian, okay, you don't want to be that guy that says, have you heard of Jesus, and you don't want you don't almost be like a Jehovah's Witness, that, that you start bugging people, okay, you want to, you want to, there's like this reality of Jesus inside of you, and, um, so I thought that's what Paul was meant. Like, I'm not ashamed to talk about Jesus Christ. But what he was actually meaning is that this gospel was so radically different to the old covenant and so radically different to the way things were, where, where salvation was about, about works and doing good things to earn favor with God, that, that he comes along and says that, that it's actually so scandalously good, which we're going to read about now, that he was almost, he says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed how good this gospel is. For it is the power... Of God, so the good news, gospel, means good news. It's not bad news. It's not the wrath of God. It's not. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. To the first, the Jew, and then to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is re, is revealed from faith, for faith. In some versions, it says from faith, first to last. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, the word salvation there, a lot of you guys will know, but it's, it's the word soterio. And we've got Leonie, who's like a Greek student. You are Greek, am I right? Yeah, she's from Greek descent as well. So if I said that wrong, she can correct me. But that's fine. Yeah, okay. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The power always, when you see the power of God, it's the dunamis, the dynamite power of God. There's this, there's this power of God uh, for salvation for everyone who believes. And the, so salvation, I'm, I'm going to read it out. It means, it's, it's the word soteria, which means health, healing, well-being, rescued from danger. The actual meaning is deliverance from the molestation of your enemies. It means you are saved. It's a total, utter saving. It's, it's, it's Jesus comes and, he, and, he, and there's this divine exchange. There's my sinful nature. There's me that is in, in wretched sin. Jesus comes. Can you stand up, Star? Sorry, I'll help you out. Let's just say that Stella is representing Jesus, okay? Because she's a lot more holier than I am, okay? Then, um, there you are. So, so there's me, sinful Dan. Jesus, Jesus comes and he steps in my place. There's a total exchange. My sins that were counted against God and all the, the wrath of God. Romans 1 speaks about the wrath of God being pouring out on mankind. Jesus came and stood in the place. God sees Jesus, He looks at me. He can't see me. He he sees Jesus. He sees God's righteousness. It's a gift. You may sit down. And uh, it's a gift that is given from heaven. It's undeserved grace. Like somehow people think that salvation has something to do with me or how good I am. And even when we sin as believers, we we somehow, we have like, we have an idea of penance in our minds. We have an idea that we have to crawl our way back to God, feel bad for four days, then get back to Him. With Jesus, God is not afraid of sin. God is not afraid of sin. He hates it. That's why he sent his only son. He absolutely hates sin, but he's he's made provision for it in his son. And I think if we miss out how good this gospel is, that, that we got something, we got a gift. If I gave Rom $2 million, he would be, with no strings attached, he would be stoked with me. What about eternal life and salvation, where you're given this gift, and it says here, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. That it's we are righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. It has many different outworkings, what it looks like in church life. And I, I think so often pastors, and I know I've probably been tempted at times, is that you want to preach a gospel that just, that, that brings a little bit of like, oh, you better do something. You better, you know, God will love you more if you pray. Like, and I think people miss the point of that. And I, I, I think if you understand how good Jesus is, how powerful he is, how we are so undeserving of his grace. There's an, an automatic buying down of our lives. That's honestly been the thing. I've never in this whole debate about law and grace and the gospel of grace, I've never felt that I was under any form of like I had to prove something. I always knew the love of God. I always knew that he was good, that he was, that he was, that he had the best intention in mind for me, that I was forgiven of my sins. do I know there's times when I have sinned and I'll be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And then you like feel bad for, for a while and and for me, as I've grown in understanding of grace, that actually Jesus loves us. Jesus, Jesus hung out with sinners. We must not forget that. He, he loves sinners. He loves hanging out with them. N.T. writes, so I want to look quickly at the word repentance, because sometimes people can like use it as repent, for, you know, like you want to kind of make, you want to like pour out just how bad people are and all that kind of thing. Repentance is the word metanoia, which literally means to change your mind. It means to change your mind about something. And N.T. Wright, great theologian, says this. He says it's almost like you were walking one way. Someone comes along and says, you must repent and follow Jesus because there's actually a better way for you to walk. And when you start walking that way, there's there's going to be a new way of walking. There's going to be a different way of walking. There's a new kingdom way of walking as opposed to this thing of like, you kind of wallow in your sin. So I, I do believe this. I do believe that that, that in that moment of salvation, happened to me, it happens to nearly everyone who gets saved, there's, there's an understanding of the, the weight of your sin, but that should not last into your Christianity. The good news is that that weight has been lifted off through Jesus Christ. This is good. His goodness is so good that it should attract. This is good news. It shouldn't be something that, okay, it's, guys, it's, it's September. I know I've even, even been watching the news, like the September the September time, there's supposed to be something happening in the world. I'm like, okay, cool, what's going on? And then you have a whole bunch of Christians that are like, you must repent, the end is coming. The Bible says that no one knows the end. I think we just need to keep on showing unconditional love to people, drawing people who don't know Jesus, getting on with the gospel, and we're going to st- start seeing God do incredible stuff in the city. What starts to happen is that once you've... Had that change, that repentance happens where your mind is changed, not only that, your, your spirit is made alive to God. The Holy Spirit comes and he falls upon you. It says that you start walking in the spirit. There's, there's, there's a new way of walking that the way you think absolutely changes. The way you think about relationships, sexuality, uh, listed if you have money, generosity, uh, your individual, individualistic ways starts to change because you've seen Jesus and you've seen his goodness. I want to tell a story. Um, Stala worked at Nikhil. For those of you who remember what Nikhil is, it was that big company that's no longer that big. And um, she, she worked with a, a Polish lady and uh, kind of obviously in Poland and parts of Europe that grew up really liberal. And uh, she, so Stala and I were dating at this stage. Okay, So we lived literally in opposite ends of the city. And the, and the, the Polish lady would go, this? I was going to do a Polish accent, but I'll probably insult Polish. You can do Polish accents. No, okay. Denise has got a bit of polish in her. Um, but uh, she's like, so you, are you telling me that you guys live separately and you're not sleeping together? And we're like, yes, because we feel it's a, a conviction. I mean, you try, honestly, Star would say she would try to tell the gospel to people there in her workplace and they would just not get it. They would be like, she would almost feel like she's not talking sense to them. And, um, and she, she looked at Star and she goes, I have never heard of this I've never heard of someone who hasn't, who doesn't. And she goes like, "How do you know if that person is going to be compatible or not?" You know what I mean? You have to test the waters, all that kind of thing. And like, and I think what, and it's the thing is this: if if I'm being honest, 99% of the world is probably like that. They're probably I've never heard of that. They've never heard of that. And for me, this is not a moment for anyone to feel condemned. If if, if you are in a relationship or whatever, and it's outside of me, for me, it's it's a moment to have a mind change. That's oh God, you're so good. And I think what happens when you, when you have a mind change, automatically this adjustment starts to take place. We've, we've walked through many, many things like that with people. Money is another thing. It's, it's no longer your own. It's, everything changes. The way you, you deal with money, the integrity in the workplace, etc., etc. Um, okay, let's go to Acts 2.42. Otherwise, I'm not going to get I've said a whole lot more than I meant to say. I just want to say this. There's a few words that I mentioned in that, that text. The one is... Um, Obviously, you think differently towards. And the next one is baptism. And again, the Greek word for that is to be immersed. It means to be immersed in water, get pulled out. And it's, it's, it's not a sprinkling. I want to show a quick little video because we're going to be doing baptism soon. I'm a little concerned right now about Your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. I just it would be a good idea if you... Felicidades. So technically that's not baptism. Baptism is immersion in water, but I just thought it was a cool video. Can we put the baptism slide up, please? So getting a bit of announcements in my preach, okay. So we're going to be having baptisms, contact info at City Lights. The last Saturday of every month we're going to meet down on a beach and be baptized. And really it is, if you look at the New Testament, there wasn't like this altar call or people putting their hands up. They were like, if I'm serious about following Jesus, I'm baptized. And can I just say that there's a, that there's a walking out in our salvation. I don't want any, anyone to ever feel like, oh, I'm not there. We still, don't, You know what? We, we are walking people on a journey from faith to being more like Jesus. We belong. We eventually believe some, believe. And then eventually there's like these behavioral patterns that come after that. We're not aiming for the behavior. We want people to just believe. We want people to just fall in love with Jesus, be enamored with him, and everything else will start to change after that. So I've got a little level here. Okay? I am not a DIY person at all. Okay? My dad had to come and help me hang curtains. Um, just my manhood went out the window there. Previously it was Ramsey. My dad wasn't living here, or well, close to us, and, uh, and Ramsey used to come and help me. Yeah, it's true. Gustav's judging me, because he kind of can build anything. Hmm? Yeah, Gustav also helped us. So, you know what, like I have other gifts. DIY is not one of them, and I've really tried. I almost, I tried, I, I hung the curtains in our lounge, but it, it would have taken a normal person an hour. It must have taken me four and a half. And it's like three two curtains. It was just like I got the holes wrong. got the anyway. I want to just look at Acts 242. Just I'll keep that there and just bring a bit of mystery in. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is what a New Testament church. is. So it's a church that has seen Jesus, that is not perfect, but they've seen Jesus. They love with him, they know that they are saved, they're radically changed. And the, and I love when you look at this because it's a blueprint of what the church looked like in the first century. They had no grid, they had no other church to compare themselves to. I I spend a lot of time on different websites looking at what other churches do, just sometimes it sparks things, it inspires things. These guys had nothing. They they didn't even have the word of God yet. They had the Old Testament, obviously. But the New Testament wasn't written. They were just the people that were following the apostles' teaching, which they eventually wrote Scripture. And then they were just getting on with following what the Holy Spirit was saying. It says, and they devoted themselves. It says, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And for me, that is a picture of what the church is. We're going to be looking at. There's so much in there. But I'm going to look at the four things. They devoted themselves, which we learned about devotion last week, to, to the, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and press. And, um, and I think there's, there's competition on every single one of those. So you have the apostles' teaching, which is the truth, the word of God, what we grind ourselves in. Even with us, I talked about bringing on leaders. We bring on leaders according to what the word of God says, not what I think is a good idea. It says they fasted and prayed before they brought on leaders. Jesus prayed the whole night before he brought on leaders. A lot of these leaders, have we've been kind of in the prayer tank for a long time praying. We want to be biblical in what we do because this is the word of God and we base our lives in and through it. And... Um, I just want to quickly cover this. So, so in terms of competition, you're going to always, there's always, I, honestly, maybe every two or three months, there's a new philosophy that comes out or a new discovery, discovery in inverted commas, uh, that is trying to disprove the Bible, disprove Christianity. You've had many people like uh, Josh, Josh McDowell, uh, there's a guy called Lee Strobel. They've gone out and they've, they've been investigative journalists and they've tried to disprove the validity of the Bible. They end up becoming believers and preaching the gospel across the world because they realize they cannot disprove this word, they, they, that, 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 that the Bible has thousands and thousands of documents that back itself up. Whereas if We, we all believe that Caesar existed. We all believe that there's this, uh, like, uh, what's, not Henry the Great. What's his name? Alexander the Great, not Henry. Sorry, I don't know where I got that from. Alexander, all these amazing, like, historical things that have happened. There's one or two scripts about them, if that written hundreds of years after. With the New Testament, there's thousands of scriptures literally written within a hundred years of that thing happening. So there's the the validity as a historical document. You cannot, you cannot fight it. This is the word of God. This is absolute truth for everyone. And here these guys come along and there's always someone who's trying to, the latest one was a new species that's been found. You're going to find out in a few years time there's actually some form of monkey. It's just the, the, the world doesn't, for me it takes a whole lot more faith to believe in evolution and science because there's nothing really to prove it. There's people think that they can prove it, but it's not really. Where you can actually believe in the Word of God, that it's actually this historical stuff that, that the Bible said first and only later that they actually discover it in, in, with archaeology, etc. I don't have time to teach on that, but they devoted themselves to teaching. And I think there's always going to be competition to get our minds off the Word of God, to make us not believe the Word of God. I, I went through a time where there was almost just this th- like, kind of a voice speaking to my head that this, this is not truth. Saying stuff like that, where I know that the Bible is truth, and I know it was the enemy trying to derail me. And that, that's, that is reality. It happens. There's, there's so many things coming against us, even in a city like this, where, where, to even read the Bible. Who struggles to read the Bible in the city? Let's just be honest. I felt like when I lived in South Africa, I'd read like so much. And then I get here and it's like, wow, it's just, it's just been a struggle. And uh, it's got a whole lot better. I've put better disciplines in place. But they devoted themselves to the, tr- to the truth of God. They let, we need to let this Word of God start to frame our thoughts, actions, future, identity. We need to speak out the Word of God. It's amazing when... Um, actually I'm going to get into the wrong thing there. The truth is the preserving power in our society. And I just want to give quick... uh, It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to be having outside input come over the next two, three months. We've got Starla's dad, Steve Sudworth next week, which is going to be great, and a guy called Mark Bailey and Mark Eldridge. They are the leaders in New One. And uh, for me, those are times that actually can kickstart something new into the church. And that, for me, those guys are coming as... They may not be apostles... But their apostolic voices they they sent from their local church to come and speak into our context. It says the next thing they devoted themselves to fellowship. The Greek word there is kinonia, which if it comes from the word koinos, it's a joint owner, common efforts, common partnership, just doing life together. This is simple. I spoke about this last week. Breaking of bread. Taught on breaking of bread a couple of weeks ago, but it really just keeps everything s- central around Jesus Christ. We're going to be having communion in about two or three minutes. Uh, and it really is just celebrating the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said we must do it in remembrance of Him. And then the final thing is prayers. And uh, and if you look at the, dis- the distractions in the world, you know that this prayer takes time and solitude. Those two things are, is what robs believers in the city. Making time for God and, and finding a quiet place for Him. And I think if we want to grow in any form and, and, and see a... God does some incredible stuff we, in our lives. And then through our lives, we have to make quiet time for him, fast. Get into a habit of fasting. We've got friends who fast once a week. Just get into the time where you're actually saying, God, I'm seeking your face. Jesus, Jesus did a counterintuitive leadership decision. There was, there was momentum from his ministry. Thousands were getting saved, healed, delivered. There was just the outbreak of the kingdom. And then Jesus, in the middle of that, pulls away and spends time with the Father. Because you realize that that is where the strength comes from. And I think if we want to be a community that shines, we have to commit our hearts and lives to prayer. So I've got this thing here. And I was going to use a seesaw, but I couldn't really think how to make one. So I'm just going to use this. Just imagine that on this side you've got fellowship and teaching. This side you've got breaking bread and prayers. If you take one of them away, it's going to start to slant. And it's going to come out of balance. And then ultimately the way this thing works is that it's straight on if you get it right in the middle. Okay. I don't think that's straight. This floor is a bit skew. There we go. Okay. And the whole thing is that if you start to take one of these things away, for example, if you take teaching away, teaching on the truth of God, we just become a community of people that like hanging out with one another. And we're not grounding ourselves into anything that is actually changing us. If you take fellowship away, you live with no accountability. uh, You live with... uh, you're not interacting with other believers. I said last week, there's, for me, there's no such thing as a, as a believer that is not part of a community of people, friends, uh, in a local church, whatever it is, you, you must be connected. We, we need each other. We need to stand alongside each other. I spoke last week that a church is almost, in, in a sense, like a gang. It's like you've got each other's back. You're fighting for one another. You know what your objective is in the future. If we take away breaking of bread... And to be honest, we don't do it enough here and we're going to start doing it a lot more and at least once a month. Uh, and it really, it takes away the centrality of what church is all about and it's about Jesus Christ. If we take that away, that is the way that we witness to the world. That is the way that we shine to the world. If you take away prayer, it's going to start falling. And one side going to get heavy, and it's going to come out of balance. Prayer is what keeps us going. It's the lifeblood of God. It's. It's. Uh, Stalin and I were talking about it this week, that prayer... Um, there's so many things that I've worried about in the past that I'd worry, 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 try to stand in my own strength, get to the point where I'm like, God, just saying, just pray about it. I pray about it. There's a peace that comes. And I think we need to pray until there's peace often. Sometimes if there's situations you're facing in work or whatever it is, pray until there's peace because then you know that there's some kind of breakthrough that's happened. And prayer, if you think about it in picture form, it almost lay, it, it levels the ground for you to walk on. Prayer is the number one thing and most important thing. We're going to hand out the bread and the juice. And this really is just, it's a representative, a representing of Jesus Christ, His body that was broken for us, His blood that was shed for us. We celebrate Him when we're doing it. So it's, it's our worship before Him. So can we just pray together?